On this week's episode of Serverless Chats, Rebecca and I chat with Dave Anderson about serverless-first engineers and the flywheel effect. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 128. everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly. And I'm Rebecca Marshburn. And this is Serverless Chats. Hey, Rebecca, what's going on? Hey, Jeremy. Uh, you know, not a lot. Just having breakfast, drinking some coffee. What about you? Uh, what are you up to? Well, I actually have been on a bit of a health kick recently. Do you tell? Um, I have lost uh, 14 pounds in the last couple of weeks. Um, I went to reInvent and I was just, I think I was breathing too heavy. So this is part of my, uh, I'm trying to reduce my carbon footprint by weighing less and needing less oxygen. So that's, uh, that's my, that's my goal, but I also have a vacation coming up. So there might be some vanity in this as well, but let's go with the, uh, sustainability. Let's go with that first. Yeah. And how you... I think my biggest health kick is that, like, you know, I eat salad for breakfast. What are, what, what are you up to? How are you feeling about it? I, so I am doing the keto stuff, which I've done in the past. Um, and uh, the first couple of days get, you know, you kind of run down, whatever. But then once you get into the, you know, the groove of it, you know, it's like bread and all that kind of stuff. You're like, eh, you know, I can, I can do without it. So, but I've been exercising a little bit as well. Um, but actually, speaking of healthy living, our guest today is a marathon runner uh, or marathon level runner, and, and from what I hear, an avid mountain biker. Um, but he's also a brilliant mind when it comes to technical and uh, strategic leadership. Uh, he's a huge advocate of serverless uh, or the serverless first approach, I should say, um, and a wardly mapping expert. Would you uh, would you like me to introduce him? Yes, please do. Edge of my seat. All right. So our guest today is a contributor at the Serverless Edge, a co-host of the Serverless Crack podcast, a technical fellow at Bizarre Voice. Um, he is our friend from Norn Iron, Dave Anderson. Hey, Dave, thanks for uh, for being here. Thank you very much. I thought you were talking about someone else there with all your kind introduction. You're too nice. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I have my first question is, um, have you run any marathons lately? I ran Belfast a few months ago, and I'm I'm, I'm planning on running Belfast again now on the on the start of May. So, just did a long run last night, so I'm kind of sleepy here. A long run last night. Well, I can't say I did the same, but I'm very proud of you. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. I tried, to get, tough. I tried to get like three miles in every once in a while, and that's pretty much enough for me. I just I can't do the marathon thing. My body is not built for marathon running. So it's uh, thinking time. That's the way I think about it. Thinking time. Good time to listen to a few podcasts. Oh, that's that's true. That's true. That also is perfect because it leads us into our first question. I'm curious if you could, you know, tell, well, this doesn't really lead into the first question, but I'm going to make it. We're going to shoehorn this. <laughs> when you think about things, what in your mind, what would you say? Like, how would you tell the audience a bit about what you're doing in your role at Bizarre Voice and what led you there? So um, Bizarre Voice is a really interesting company. They're about 15 years old, based in Austin, and um, they supply a lot of the user-generated content for um, uh, e-commerce and online retailers. So something like 65% of the top uh, brands use Bizarre Voice for reviews, question and answers, and, and, and kind of social commerce um, content, which is like, I think there's something like 12,000 brands and retailers. 
So really my role there as a technical fellow is really looking at the technical strategy of the company and, and how do we kind of move forward. It's it's kind of like a startup that's 15 years old. So it's been it's been really exciting joining there. I've been there for about the last four months or five months. And it's it's a really exciting industry to be in. Kind of, you know, um, um retail, it's 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 new to me, so lots to learn. But definitely it's 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 really fast moving and a lot of really, really great engineers. So it's an exciting kind of um, growth area for cloud, and we're we're all in an AWS, which is which is cool as well. Like so, lots of lots of stuff to play with. Yeah. So you um you have a, a little you know quote or whatever on the Serverless Edge site where you talk about being passionate about driving technical strategy, um and helping others with the transformation journey, um and then you know just that you've done this, you've led several enterprise uh, slash organizational change efforts uh, over the course of your career, and one of those places w- which we have to mention is Liberty Mutual or Liberty uh, Information Technology. You were there for fourteen years, um and you were a major part of that serverless transformation uh, and the effort there. I'd just love it if you could tell the audience a little bit more about that yeah that was it was a fantastic journey over, over the past kind of few years um and really i, I was lucky enough i i took it like a cto role with with liberty it back in 2013 and that was just about the time that we were starting to talk to aws so i was at the table when, when we had these initial conversations with aws and the thing i noticed was the conversation was almost security led it was mm. talked about security and policy and stuff. And I kind of, I had a small team at the time with a few architects. There's only three or four of us. And I kind of realized there is, an, there is potential here to reinvent how we write applications. It's like while everyone's figuring out, you know, network security, governance, all that, all that good stuff that needs to happen first, we need to figure out how do we build applications in the cloud. And we were lucky enough, we had a few people at reInvent in 2014 where, hey, Lambda was launched. Right. So in 2015, we started playing with Lambda as, you know, is this a potential um, direction we could go on? And we started thinking about things like, how do we get rid of the operational burden and, and build functionality quickly? And that became serverless first. And we used a bunch of things like worldly mapping, et cetera. And we just started to create this approach to form this idea of serverless first in a big enterprise. And, and we just we just kept going. Uh, we kept getting quick wins and another win and making massive impact. And we'd take applications that were like $50,000 a year to run and we'd turn it back to $10 a year. And people were just blown away by some of the change we were driving right. and just created this almost like a movement around the organization about this different way of building. And sometimes it's not about the detailed explanation of why. It's just like, this is faster and cheaper. People are like, okay, I can get on board with that. It was great as well because at, at Liberty IT in Belfast, uh, the team grew to about, I think, 12 architects with a whole bunch of people we can we can talk about later. But um, we had expertise right around the entire enterprise. So we started thinking and said, you know, could could we frame Liberty Mutual as a serverless first enterprise? You know, it was kind of like go, go big or go home. Right. And people started listening. So it was just, it was an incredible story. I'm so proud of the work we did there. I'm sure we can talk with the team, but it's just there's so many ways we 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 drove that different mindset, and I'm I'm really delighted to see more stories today about the, the great work that's happened at Liberty Mutual. So it was a fantastic experience. I just thank you so much for you knowing and sharing that like deep, deep origin story. Um, where you said you know 2014, you're like, wow, there is potential here to reinvent how we write applications, and then you drew that out, and it ends up being there's potential here to 
redo how you do business, right? To go from $50,000 spending $10 on something and applying that across an organization that probably has a lot of 50K spends in different places. So that led to this idea, it sounds like, where, where you, you, the nomenclature, right? You called it or named it serverless first. Wondering if you can define what serverless first means to you and to the Liberty Org and whether or not that changed over time. It's kind of what we, what we, from a few different efforts of, of change, you realize that sometimes if you're, if you're extremely detailed upfront, you turn people off. So we just started talking about serverless first and a different way of building. And we started to slowly define what that meant. So we started to say things like event-driven, um, well-architected. We talked about the serverless first spectrum, you know, start with serverless and manage services and work your way back through, you know, containers and even back to like, you know, the likes of Cloud Foundry, et cetera. So really giving people that prioritized list to work backwards from. Um, we talked about engineering excellence, is that we will take great pride in how we build. We'll have empowered teams. So we kind of, we grew it to be slightly bigger. We'd be driven by a KPI and not just, you know, not just writing a feature, but actually driving a business KPI. So this all led to teams that were more self-sufficient and more responsible. And again, there's a couple of really nice things for Liberty Mutual. One of the phrases was responsibility is our policy. We're like, yeah, we can work that into it. Um, one of the phrases with auto was the fact that only pay for what you need for your auto insurance. We thought, okay, that sounds like a serverless thing. You only pay for what you use. So we started folding in the corporate kind of directions, which are really solid and linking them back to what the engineers were doing. Engineers loved this because it was all of a sudden tying us to the business. And then when we did sit and talk to the business, we were talking the same language. So having that consistent language from the engineering teams to the business leaders, it just it just was incredible. This idea of experimentation as well. You could try things really quickly and see if it worked, and then it, it, you'd have the scale there if needed. So it's just about tying those tying those things together the whole time. So it was it's just fascinating to see how it grew. So you talk about all of this work that Liberty Mutual did and, and all these sort of, you know, uh, just the the evolution of, of that serverless first mindset and what that meant within the company. And um, we have a mutual friend, Matt Coulter, who, you know, built that CDK patterns library. And then we just had Christy Peralt on our last episode. Um, she's uh, from the U.S., works with Liberty Mutual, and she was talking about the internal patterns library, um, you know, that's available so that, uh, you know, developers can just grab this right off the shelf. And then not only can they start quickly, but also follow a bunch of rules and standards and all these things that are already approved. Um, you know, so this is amazing, right? And just super well implemented. We've heard of other companies like Lego, for example, that have teams that are just about, you know, basically, um, I guess, uh, what, what, you know, accelerating their development process. Um, they've even gone and extended the well-architect framework to make it more stringent for their particular needs. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, Liberty Mutual, Lego, some of these bigger organizations have very, very large IT departments or very large development teams. Um, so it makes sense that they can do this. It's not quite as simple for small or even mid-sized orgs to find um, not only the the time and the resources, but like the right people um, that can actually lead these charges. So I'm I'm curious, you know, you know, from your perspective as somebody who's done this in a larger organization, but I know I was also working with with others, you know, is this just immaturity in the space? I mean, you know, it's been five plus years now, but it's still a bit of Wild West out there, right? So is this just something where we think, you know, it just needs to mature more and all the tools and the best practices will be out there? Or do you think that this is still something that most 
organizations are going to need to deal with for a while and kind of go through their own learning uh, or on their own journey, I guess, to, to discover the benefits and the best practices and the implementation that works for their organization? I, I would hope that I think a better understanding of how engineering works. Engineering has to be part of the organization. It's not the IT department. You know, IT is not a cost center. It's mm -hmm. a value driver. So I think when teams or when companies appreciate and realize that, and you can let the engineering teams build valuable, then the question becomes, how can I help the engineer teams build quickly? One of the initial ideas myself and Mark McCann had is about the act, the act of enablement, technical leadership through enablement. It's leading from the back of the room. You know, and as people joined my team, we, we, we led from the back of the room. We enabled other teams to, to be successful. And, and it was often the thing where you sat back and you, didn't, you weren't really in the front line. So I think the idea of providing enablement capability to teams is really powerful. You're not kind of driving the teams to, you know, type in code faster. That's not what it's about. It's how can you give the teams the tools to do what they need to do. Um, we had several attempts at finding that tool set. We had a couple of failed attempts at building that internal developer platform. Mm -hmm. But it was when CDK came out that we seen there was real value there. And I'd been trying to push inner source for several years before that. But Matt, I think, joined the team in about 2019. And the first thing I signed to was CDK. Was, Look at that. We think there's potential in that because we could see that CloudFormation was slowing people down. Um, so that idea of, of creating the building blocks you need. And the Lego analogy is brilliant. Adrian Cockcroft talks about having better bits of Lego that you right. can build your systems with. But you need to be very clear in what kind of guardrails you're going to put in for your engineers and what tools you're going to give them. And you really need to understand, you know, where your value proposition is. Um, there's far too many companies building what I would say too low down the stack. And they're trying to build too much stuff. Right. So I think there's, there's a little bit of companies understanding what their engineering is for and giving them the right tool set to do that. I think the, the tools are there today if you want to take that approach. Like CDK patterns is absolutely awesome to take those patterns in and those higher level constructs. But you have to have engineering leadership who are going to pave the way and, and, and let those things happen. But the thing I was able to do in, in Liberty Mutual was go into the C-suite, the executives, and say, we're going to take this approach to get this benefit. People are like, okay, I'm good with that. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't join the dots into the C-suite, then you're, you're sometimes you're fighting a losing battle. So I think it's really important to, to, and it's often a different message you put into the C-suite than when talking with the engineers. But sometimes, you know, you need to think of it in a, this is how we're going to deliver value for the organization using these tools. So I think the tools are there, but maybe not the attitudes in engineering leadership in some companies. Now, I've never known any company to be slowed down by cloud formation, though. So, <laughs> now you're just you're just talking crazy talk now. That's such a mirthful laugh, Jeremy. Um, Dave, you you discussed a few things that maybe failed in the beginning, or you all were like working through internally. Okay, how do we apply this type of like thinking, and and how do we help spread that um, across the org? Can you talk a little bit more about some of those internal adoption struggles initially, and then what helped you sort of build out of those? Well, one of the one of the like one of the the, the, the best techniques that we started looking at was wordly mapping. Um, we started wordly mapping probably about maybe about ten or eight years ago, um, and we just it it took a long time to figure out how to do it. 
Um, but eventually when this idea of Genesis custom product commodity, when that finally landed, we were able to look at things and say, that's a commodity. You know, this thing is custom. It needs to be product. How would you move certain things? And I'll give you a good example of that. A lot of our traditional, I spent a lot of time working with infrastructure and security. Spent a lot of time in those groups, working with those really brilliant, brilliant um, professionals and engineers. But infrastructure always want to build a front in front of something. Let's build a front before AWS. You can go through this thing to get AWS. And you're thinking, guys, we, we don't need to do that. That's not providing us any more value. You know, let's just write some really good standards and not build a front in front of everything. So th there was always that early um, approach to let's, let's wrap the cloud in something. And you just know that you're going to run out of road if you do that. So those things like that, um, we then, we for a while, we get too opinionated. We built the most amazing framework to do everything for you, and it got too bloated. So you know, right. we went, we, we protected developers, then we got too opinionated. And eventually, we got the idea that let's, let's open things up and take this inner source approach where we let engineers change things. We trust them to add value, but we provide some guardrails, like, and the, the knowledge for that was through well-architected. So it was, it was, it was definitely a learning experience. Um, but I think at the end of the day, developers need to have control of what they're doing, which is really important. Right. And, and I want to dig into Wardly mapping uh, a little bit later, but let's go back to talk about trusting developers, right? So trusting developers, I mean, we should, right? We should be able to trust them as long as they are up to date and they know the technologies that you're using. So you have this evolution of, of developers who were writing code, throwing it over the wall, somebody else is handling that, moving to this idea of a serverless first developer. And you wrote a great article, uh, I think maybe last July, about the evolution of the serverless or serverless first engineer. So, could you talk a little bit, um, a little bit about that and what what you mean by a serverless first engineer? And really, what what do you need to do now, or what what is a serverless engineer? Maybe a serverless first engineer. Sorry. Well, I think I mean the whole idea is that I think the most important idea is code is a liability. You know that I think that's that's the key idea behind behind that attitude that that. You're not gonna you're gonna try and avoid any operational overhead and write as little code as possible. And you're happy enough to um, pass on certain capabilities to the cloud provider. I think that that's the most important thing. I think this idea of being able to kind of um, break up what you're trying to do and think about what what do I need to write versus what would I like to write. Um, that's that's a that's a big leap of faith, I think, for many engineers. Um, and again, I think there's certain things like eventing and you know and 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 how you write your functions, etc., is all very important. But I think being very clear on the the business outcome that you're trying to achieve, I think is is the most important thing. That, um, I know Sheen Brasellas from Lego talks about the mm. rocket ship. Is that once you once you start writing in this way, you're on a rocket ship where you're you, you can't really get off. You're 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 almost committing to this constant evolutionary architecture of what you're doing. Where it's it's you're you're always optimizing and improving things. I think that's very much a mindset. Um, it's sometimes the engineers that have kind of stopped learning that find this as a, a difficult place to kind of go. But there's there's always engineers that are hungry to learn the next thing, and that, and that's that's some of the engineers that really enjoy this kind of serverless first kind of environment. Um, 
I've had many conversations with with engineers that were maybe apprehensive about serverless first or didn't quite understand why. And I think there's a bit about reassuring those engineers that this is actually a good direction to go in and we can actually, it's, it's, a, it's a better space to be an engineer and you can build more quality. You can, there's a lot more things you can do uh, as, as value add. So I think there's, there's, there's a whole package around being a service first engineer, I think is really interesting, um, but it's, it's not very understood. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a great phrase serverless first engineer, cause it, it's quite difficult to describe, mm. but, but there's a certain mindset there that's kind of always, always evolving, which, which, um, which I think is interesting for engineers. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. So we uh, recently spoke with Eric Johnson, who is a DA at AWS, and he was really excited because he's now going into universities and sort of piloting this program by teaching serverless ideas or like, you know, the paradigm shift to engineers in university who are still learning, you know, like C-sharp. Um, and so I'm wondering, as you're bringing new team members on and like new serverless first engineers, you're talking about like, hey, it's kind of hard to find people who are already thinking in this way, or, you know, maybe you find a great engineer, but then you have to establish whether or not they buy into the paradigm or want to shift to the paradigm or just like can step back and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to develop in terms of what I actually need to write versus what I would like to write. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about how you've seen that evolution with engineers. Cause I'm, I imagine that, you know, even still the crop of engineers coming out of university, let's say the, the younger folks are, they may have been exposed on their own, but they haven't been exposed in terms of what they've been learning and the traditional methodologies of learning. Mm -hmm. I think the mindset is engineer over programmer. I think that's an absolutely critical uh, mindset switch. If your job is to write code, then you'll write code. If your job is the engineer solution for whoever you're dealing with, your stakeholder, then it becomes a different, a completely different proposition. And often I think coming out of university, you've got programmers and then you need to almost convert them into engineers. How do they solve problems? Um, I think technical coaching is a huge part. And I spent, you know, if you think of old team at Liberty, I think we had, you know, a really strong team. I think we had, we had four serverless, uh, we had four heroes, AWS heroes, and a really, really strong group of people. We spent a huge amount of time speaking to engineers, coaching people through, we do lots of kind of engineering excellence kind of reviews. And I was like a broken record. People would say, I've written this great thing, yada, yada, yada. And say, well, what's the business KPI or where's the value or how much did that cost? Just bring in a subtle commercial question to, okay, love the fact that that pattern is really cool. That's brilliant. But what problem is that solving for mm -hmm. who? And then people say, well, yeah, it's a really complicated. Well, could you not just use step functions for that? Um, I, I think so, but I really like this language. Okay, well, that's 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 good. But so bringing it back to, and I think I think it's really powerful for um, engineers coming out of college. They have those technical leadership role models that will ask them the right questions. I, I think the the old idea of the technical leadership is you know grilling the engineer. You have to do this, catching them out. You know, putting them on their putting people on their kind of back. Back feet. That's that's completely broken for the modern way of work. You want someone who has been done this before, who's got some experience, who could maybe point out, well, you know, why did you do that? It's more of a coaching conversation to help people learn in a safe environment. So I think I think that's really important to, to kind of 
bring people new new into the industry into that way of your your role is to engineer solutions for your for your business partners and that's where i think serverless really comes into its own because you can do that quickly and you can be laser focused on that and and i love that phrase you know sort of taking people from programmers to engineers or transforming them into engineers because i think of it now as like you almost don't want to hire programmers you want to hire cloud architects right because you have to think all the way through and i think about how much code i write now even when i'm building an application i'm like did i really only write like you know a hundred lines of code and that and that does you know and then i plug into you know then i write either uh, you know ten thousand lines of cloud formation or i use a you know, framework but essentially you know all that 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 uh, cloud formation uh, or whatever framework i use to transform it into cloud formation essentially that does 90 percent of the work that i normally would have had to do in the past um, and one of the things you mentioned in the, art, in the article is this idea of cognitive burden, right? And that idea of sort of thinking through all the way from, you know, what is it that I'm trying to experience you meant, or what am I trying to accomplish? You mentioned this idea of what's the business value there and putting all that in. I think a typical programmer has always been a problem solver and always trying to solve those problems. But this is just, I don't want to say it's harder. I mean, because I think it's more exciting. I think it's more interesting. Like you said, you have more freedom. You can do more things. You've got more control. Um, you have more control by giving up control, which is kind of crazy. But if you think about it that way. But I'm just curious, like, what is that? What is What are those extra bits of cognitive burden um, that we do put on developers that are moving into this sort of cloud architect space? I think that's um, the two funny stories about that. Um, I always remember working with, I was working on a stack a, a, a while ago, a few, a good few years ago. And we, we one of the, the engineering leaders was, was curious to why it was taking so long. And I said, well, look at how we've designed the stack. There's many layers to the stack and there'll be three people who know the entire stack. Mm -hmm. And if you have a conversation with one of those engineers and you ask them the question, you can see the cognitive burn in their eyes as they try and think through this huge call stack. It's just too complex. We haven't used like domain-driven techniques to break this down and they kind of, you know, like as Dan North says, it, it, this doesn't fit in my head. I think with some of the cloud architectures, if you do break them up properly, things can't fit in your head, you know? So I think there's a, there's, it's, it's old architecture that's the decades old, but it's just the fact that break things down properly and they will be simpler, you know, as, as, um, as Brian Foote says, you know, don't don't design a big ball of mud. That's not good for anyone, you know. And then the second thing is around kind of programmers. Um, I think programming is still important. It's still really important to be a good programmer. But I remember getting up in front of uh, Liberty a few years ago and saying that um, the junior engineers were the best programmers in the company. I said the junior engineers are better programmers than the architects in my team. And I got a huge lifeback from that. Specifically, Gillian McCann was really angry. She was like, I am one of the best programmers in this whole company. And I was like, actually, yes, Gillian, I think you're right. But I was illustrating the point. You know I mean? <laughs> you're also the best engineer in the company. So, you know, it's, it's, so there's something about having the experience, or especially in the cognitive burden, to know what you don't need to do. Good engineers know what they don't need to do. And, that, right. and that's the difference. You're, you're automatic, you're almost, simplifying um as you go so let's talk about some of those mm, some of the ways that you distill these lessons and then share them out with folks i, I would definitely want to talk about the serverless edge you got a lot of things going on right you got like blog posts you got some team members you got newsletters events um can you talk to us a bit more about what the serverless edge is and why you and mark uh, mccann started it 
Yeah, so it's a funny story actually. Um, after I, I left, um, after I left Liberty, I was kind of I've been speaking to a bunch of people across the industry, and it was actually um, Adrian Cockcroft said, he said, "You need to write a book." I was like, "No, I'm just going to take a few months off, and then you know start." He said, "No, no, no, you need to write a book. It's really important." So I said, "Okay, I'll 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 see if I can write," and um, I ended up putting together a book, which which we're publishing with IT Revolution towards the end of this year. And really it's around the, and I've, I've got the serverless edge is the blog that we discuss some of these kind of, some of these topics. And really it's, there is a, a, a the serverless edge gives you an advantage over many other technologies because it makes you go faster. And really what I've tried to illustrate in the book is when you take a business strategy illustrated by worldly mapping, and technology strategy illustrated by serverless first. And if you can combine them together, there's a flywheel effect that absolutely propels your company into mm. a different stratosphere. And you can see a few companies who have done this. I'm sure you guys have spoke to some companies who have really gotten that really tight. And once your engineers understand what the business strategy is and what it's not through something like worldly mapping, and once your business relays how they can ask for things and how they can, how they can get technology moving for them, it's you know, the IT department is gone. You know you're you're on steroids moving forward. So it's really so this idea of of the value flywheel is something we've kind of created to try and illustrate that. Is to kind of talk about how how do you get that flywheel effect working within your company? So really within within the book that's coming out and um, IT Revolution have been awesome. I've been speaking with 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 Gene Kim over the book and 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 talk to some of those authors which which is great company to be in you know there's that's they publish like accelerate and you know um uh, team topologies and a bunch of really fantastic books the devops handbook so being in that company of authors has been great to kind of propel these ideas forward into a whole new kind of space and then actually teasing out the ideas with my two co-authors mark mccann and michael riley has been really good to actually you know flesh this out and get some of these ideas out in the community so you've mentioned a few times, I know that Jeremy promised at the beginning of this podcast that we'd get back to it, but I think it's probably time that we talk a little bit about Wordly and Wordly mapping as a tool to drive transformation and the Wordly strategy cycle. And I really appreciated how you had brought the, the idea up of the Wordly strategy cycle, because I think when people do hear about Simon Wordly and they hear about Wordly mapping, but there is like a, another a cyclical, like a, a loop involved in it too, right? The Wordly strategy cycle. So will you talk a little bit about those two things, and then we'll we'll come back to how they apply to more about the serverless edge. Really, that I mean, we, we we first started speaking to Simon and talking to him, and we joined some of his research groups over the years. But as we started to use worldly mapping as a technique within within Liberty Mutual, it just became really powerful because you know we we have a team in a very complex area. We would map out what they were doing, and it would become immediately obvious the things they didn't need to do. I used to get some reactions, like people going, why are we doing that? You go like, bingo, that worked. So people would <laughs> automatically say, why are we spending so much time doing this? We need to move that into product. So this idea of this mental model of how visible is the work you're doing to your stakeholder? You know, is it is it right front center or is it buried a few layers down? Plus, where in the evolutionary cycle is this? Is it Genesis custom where it's brand new or is it product utility? You should be just renting it from someone. So that was a really powerful way to have the discussion 
And then as you get into the strategy cycle, you talk about doctrine. What are the core tenants or hygiene factors that are within the company? You know, like common language, communication, you know, quality standards. There's a whole bunch of hygiene factors that we talk about that, that should be within a company. Um, do you have alignment through mapping? Um, and then, you know, getting into things like landscape and orientation and how you actually, you know, executing those things. So I think that's, that, that's a fantastic model. But what I did was really apply some of those thinking into the book, into that, into that what I call the value flywheel. So really, we've got these four different kind of areas where it's like um, purpose. Are you really aware of your purpose as an organization, as a team? Can you really, do you know the North Star of what you're doing? And this was something done a million times. When you talk to a team, they tell you about their amazing Kubernetes stack and say, well, why are you doing that? Right. So boom, straight away, down to the business problem. Then challenge. Can you map out what you're doing? And are you open enough to receive challenge from people? You know, maybe we have all the tech, but we have the wrong team. You know, so there's a socio-technical thing there that do you have the right structure? Are you challenging what you're doing? And then next best action, are, are you going to execute quickly on that? Service first developer experience. Like, can you get that in production tomorrow? It's going to take you six months. And then long-term value, like sustainability, well-architected. Are you putting well-architected standards into what you're doing? So even though you've written something quickly, is it well-architected? And then that drives you to push on the purpose even more. So once you start that flywheel effect going, you make rapid progress. So I think Simon Wardley's work was brilliant for getting us into that mindset. But and I've, I've said this to Simon, but his language is it's very research driven. It's it's right. it's it's hard to get your head around. He says it takes seven years to learn mapping, and he's probably right. So what I really what we really did in the book, myself, uh, Mark, and Mike, was kind of take that and kind of make that slightly more accessible. And how can you apply that? The you know, and really the the tagline is okay. You've migrated to the cloud. Now what? Do you have a nice data center? Are you actually ready to for the flywheel to take off? Yeah, and it, it's funny that you say that um, because I, the I actually had a question about this. Where or we've had a lot of guests talk about Wardley mapping. We've had Simon Wardley on this podcast where we talked about <laughs> Wardley mapping, but I, and. In seven years, like I'm still trying to learn Wardley mapping, so I think he's right on that. Um, but what I when I think about all these guests we've had, including Simon, who is brilliant, and the 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 whole um, abstract of it is brilliant, but the actual application of it and and bringing it into an organization, um, it's sort of like you know I always joke about this. You you're reading a tutorial, you'll get to step four, and then step five somehow skips over 700 steps. Like that's how I feel like bringing Wardley mapping into an organization. So. How do companies do that? I mean, I, this book is obviously a, the, a great first step for them, but um, beyond just the principles of worldly mapping itself, applying those within the organization, can you talk a little bit more uh, about that? Yeah, well, I think the language is really important. Um, actually, mapping itself is kind of dangerous. If you're going to map with a bunch of executives, it's it's you know just be careful because it's a tough it's a tough technique. But the two things we did was really interesting. We created a grid. For worldly mapping, and there's layers of visibility, say A, B, C, and D, where A is most visible. Mm -hmm. And then we had a number, one, two, three, four, wasn't like um, Genesis custom product uh, utility. So we would we would talk to a team and we would say, where are they? This team's like, they're like, uh, they're C1. You know, it's product right in front of the stakeholder. That's where you want to be. This team, they're like, they're like D2. They're like some custom built madness that's four layers away. They say you're too low on the stack. 
So we get a really simple way of teams realizing where they were, you know, and it's almost like that's where you are and which direction are you going in? Are you, you've, you've written something really valuable. Are you trying to commoditize that? Are you trying to create innovation? And we also combine that with team topologies. Are you enabling other teams? Are you creating value? And once you put those two things together, it's like, well, you can't create value if you're a, a commodity that's hidden away. No one even knows you exist. So it's really trying to get teams in the right headspace to understand where they're at. So even that language, I think the language of orderly mapping was even more important than mapping itself. This concept of, you know, product versus commodity. And custom was really important because a lot of teams, they write something custom and then they never like refactor it to bring it into product. It's like the pioneer settler town planner idea yeah. that Simon uses. You know, a team can be a pioneering team, but they never move over to settlers or town planners. So it's, it's every team and product is on an evolutionary journey. So it's about talking to teams to where they are on that journey. So I think having someone to sit and talk through the teams with that. And for me, that's a great role of a technical leader or an architect is to come in and, and provide that that um, kind of coaching to the team. And then you can't just go in and say, you need to be X. You then say, well, I think we need to move to X and let me help you get there. And you maybe go and clear the way for them or or introduce something. So it's about you know, helping the team see where they go next and then assisting them in getting there themselves. So I think, um, yeah, I think that was super important. But um, this idea of, 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 of a common language about the evolution of the team, I think is really important. It sounds like you might say about uh, wordly mapping, especially when you're in front of stakeholders, right? You're like, well, to distill it down, it's with great power comes great responsibility. So like, don't just wield this tool willy nilly, um, especially with folks who aren't necessarily like in the right headspace to even consider its implications. And then you you um, you certainly don't want to make rash decisions off of like uh, maybe something that you sketched out in 30 seconds if the rest of the people in the room don't understand like the the origins and, and how to use it. So I love that you're applying, you know, the Wordly strategy cycle and Wordly mapping to your book. Um, and I, and so in that book, right, you talk about, what, what do you say you broke it into four parts? You say purpose, challenge, I'm going to mess up on the third one, and then well-architected. What's the third? Yeah, next best action. Next the best action. Bias for action. impact, yep. Thank you. Um, and then, and then well-architected. And so yep. you have a podcast. The Serverless Crack podcast, um, yep. in which you um, talk shop, let's say, with Mark McCann and, and Michael Riley, and you have like I think you dedicate maybe six episodes um, to the well-architected framework and yep. sustainability is your favorite pillar. So we talk a little bit about the podcast and then why you dedicated so many episodes to to well-architected, um, and then maybe how that fits into your book itself. Yeah, well, I mean. We're huge fans of Well Architected. It's just amazing. You know, the fact that it's eight years old still blows my mind. It's, it's such a neat um, idea. And, um, and you know, Google and Microsoft also have Well Architected approaches that are slight different names, but the same stuff. And I just love Well Architected because I, I use this internally in every company. It's like I call it's like your five a day. If the, the ICD always say, we need to introduce Well Architected as a phrase that everyone understands. That someone can ask, is that well architected? Yes or no. When your doctor asks you, did you did you eat your five a day? You either say yes, because that's five fruit and veg. No, I did not. Or you can say 
yeah, but I can add fruit juice, which isn't really five a day, but I'm going to count it as five a day. If that's your attitude, then the doctor knows that you're not telling the truth. And I say, well, it's your responsibility. So, you know, you do what you need to do. Same with architected. It's a great way to level out. Because when you ask people about architecture, they talk in circles. But with architected, is quite clear what that is. And I love the fact that they added sustainability to that as a sixth pillar. And again, I, I talk good friends with Adrian Cockcroft, who's the, I think the VP of sustainability for AWS. And the whole idea that, that the cloud provider are responsible for the sustainability of the cloud. So they make sure the data center is running well. And it's your responsibility for sustainability in the cloud. <clears throat> So there's something like 1% of the global electricity bill is on data centers. And that's going to increase something like tenfold in the next decade. So most software engineers are not quite clear on how their designs specifically relate to increased carbon burn. And the one thing that's happened as the cloud providers can measure carbon usage and as regulations comes in around, you know, um, carbon requirements for, you know, 2035 or whatever, Companies will have to start saying, this is our carbon burn. So there's a direct responsibility for engineers. We now have a number for technical debt. It's not just someone's opinion. You know, right. you actually have a number, even with the cost in, in the cloud, you can still hide that with saving plans. So imagine a future where you can actually assess an architecture to see how sustainable that is. And you can look at that. So, and obviously, of course, serverless is the best way to create a really sustainable product. So um, I think there's going to be a huge uplift in sustainability as a me the metric that matters for good architecture. Um, I don't think we've ever had that before. So I'm excited about the changes that the cloud providers will, will bring out to help us measure and the change in mindset and engineering teams to actually um, think about sustainability as something that is a, is, a, is a measure for good architecture. Yeah, I was excited to see the sustainability pillar added because that's... Uh... I think it's interesting to be focused on, and, and you know, actually, Paul Johnson and I were talking about this. I think two years ago now, or whatever it was, like you know, just yep. saying how important it was, you know, sort of going green with serverless and that being a major driver for it. Um, so I just want to ask a little bit more about the podcast and and the conversations you've been having. So I'm just curious how the feedback has been because Rebecca and I love it when this podcast gets people asking questions or interacting with us or um, disagreeing with us even, although, I mean, it's hard to disagree with uh, Rebecca and me, but still, um, <laughs> if they do. Um, so I'm just curious, have you um, have you engaged with some people? Have people reached out to you, um, you know, and sort of like uh, been inspired by this? Because again, it's super interesting stuff and, and, and crazy, crazy important. Yeah, it, the feedback's been really good. A lot of people really enjoy it. They like the kind of conversation. And what we're kind of trying to do is have nice kind of short conversations that are, you know, almost like bite-sized to try and make some of these things more accessible. We're trying to um, hold back in our inner desire to go really deep in some of these topics. So we're trying to keep it at a nice high level. And really, it's it's a lot of people are listening to say, you know, it's, it's a nice short podcast. I kind of, it was really interesting what you said. It encouraged me to go and learn more, you know. And it's really, we're, we're trying to almost have an open conversation between a few people. They're just kind of sitting around having the, the kind of chat you would have at work, sitting on the coffee table about, you know, about well architected or whatever. And it's not quite, we're not really any gender specific. We're just kind of shooting the breeze mm -hmm. and just having some fun with it. Like, so I think it's, 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 it's nice to kind of, um, almost like level out the conversation and talk about some of the because that one thing i think about and i often talk about modern cloud versus legacy cloud 
A lot of people don't understand what modern cloud means. So it's trying to maybe give some language and, and this is what it kind of feels like for mm. modern cloud. Because I think there's a lot of companies who are stuck on legacy cloud, but they don't realize it. So definitely a, a goal or call to action with some listeners to think, oh, we need to do, we need to make some improvements. You know, we need to start moving things forward. So I think that's definitely a, a subtle goal, but the feedback's been awesome. And, and thanks for the, thanks for the compliments. Really appreciate it. If you, I know, I don't know how obvious this is, but Jeremy's into podcasts. So, uh, um, he definitely, maybe I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had like seven questions about the podcast and we had to just like cut them all from here. It's like, <laughs> but this is an open invitation to disagree with us, to challenge us. Um, I imagine Dave probably also gives somewhat of an open invitation for that, but I'll let you speak for yourself in terms of it is, I'd rather listeners interact with us and say like, Hey, I don't know if I agree or I haven't seen it work that way rather than just be like. Oh, listen to that podcast and then like keep going. So, um, yeah, it's, it's congratulations on, it's not an easy thing to stand up, especially to get three people around the digital coffee table as often as you do. So it's really exciting. It's fun to listen to. Um, so you're talking you. about this idea from legacy cloud, you know, to modern cloud. And it reminded me of a, a quote that you're talking about, like the reasoning behind your book, um, titled TBD. But you say the need for cohesion between business and technology has never been greater, and we need to simplify the technology narrative. And so it sounds like in a lot of ways, right, serverless, if you, when you do it right and when you well architect it and when you have this, um, these, let's say, guide rails of the questions that you ask to help other people understand, like, are you actually achieving the optimal goals behind what the serverless mindset, the serverless first idea, this paradigm is, that's simplifying, let's say, the 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 choices you're making as engineering and then ultimately that ends up hopefully you know improving or it does end up improving the business and so the business narrative is pretty simple it's like you know ROI like what is the ROI are we like moving fast are we executing quickly is the feedback loop shorter are we making more money for the products that we're serving can you talk about what it means to simplify the technology narrative on the other side of that I mean I think um, there's definitely something around what you talk about as an engineering team and if you're, if you're constantly in the weeds and explaining stuff that people can't really understand I, I think you're you're missing something do you know um it almost needs to be a single language you want your engineers talking about the same thing that your business leaders are talking about i think that's for me that's the goal um i i find it challenging when the the, in, the engineer team they're so deep in the technical implementation as they've almost forgotten why they're building what they're building and I think one of the things I think is nice about serverless is some of the questions, the challenges are things about, you know, response time versus observability, um, you know, developer experience. There are higher level things that you can actually talk about. You know, they're not in some weird kind of technology framework that no one, they're, they're not talking a different language than your kind of business leaders. It's like, we want to be more responsive. We want to be faster. We want to be more reliable. We want to be cheaper. It's, you can actually lift the level up that much of the conversation because, you know, you're not having to write thousands of lines of code and do really complicated things because the cloud provider does most of that for you. So it, it, um, it takes the focus away. And I think um, we had a conversation. It, it almost leaves space for innovation. Because you, you, it takes care of a lot of the lower level stuff and, and, and gives you space to think about what, what can you do for your, for, your, for your business leads. I had a great example a few years ago 
of a team who were brand new to serverless and they had to write an application and they had like these four months to do it. And um, one of the, a colleague of mine was the kind of lead and he says, right, we're going to do this serverless first. And like, well, we, we don't want to do that because we don't know it. So we had a conversation. So, okay, we'll learn it and we'll try it. And of course they used CDK patterns and they had the application written in like three months, mm. which was like, you know, I think they had six months to write it. Um, but, and I said, well, are you going to deploy it now? And they were like, oh, we don't have to. I said, just deploy it and see what happens. Get through all the security stuff. And then just start seeing what else you can do. So they start doing observability dashboards, start reducing cost. They do a couple of architect reviews. They just, you know, really optimize the thing. So by the time they did a bit of UX work on it, by the time the customer needed it, which is for a very specific date, they had the thing written, they had it tuned, optimized, they were good to go. You know, and it was probably one of the most the best applications they'd ever written. So the fact that they can get the product stood up very quickly and then have extra time to, you know, not, not harden it, but improve it. To do some of the things that you never, ever get to if you're having right. to write thousands, thousands of lines of Java code and worry about EC2s, et cetera. That is amazing. Well, um, speaking of long podcasts, um, we are out of time, um, but it was awesome talking to you, Dave. So if people want to find out more about uh, you um, or they want to find out about the podcast or the Serverless Edge or your new book, how do they do that? So we're writing on the serverlessedge.com and um, that's where most of our, that's where all our content is. Um, the book, we're kind of going around the, the flywheel effect for the book, but that will be published on um, IT Revolution and will be listed, in, um, I think it's already listed on Amazon under the flywheel effect. Um, that's available for pre-order now. And um, we also have a serverless edge uh, Twitter handle where we, we tweet some of our material as well. And we're on the usual channels as well, like YouTube and uh, LinkedIn, etc. But I think primarily uh, the serverlessedge.com and um, the book will be on the, the flywheel effect. It's listed on Amazon for pre-order. I didn't realize it was already titled. And man, I was going to be like, are you accepting applications? Like we could have a little contest around like name Dave's book. Um, but great choice of name. Yeah, the flywheel effect is kind of, we, we, we were thinking about it for a while, and but it, 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 it really resonates with that flywheel effect between kind of business strategy and technical strategy. So there's really something there that once you get those two working in unison, you get that kind of um, that kind of rocket ship effect. Like so, it's 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 um it's pretty exciting, and I'm I'm, I'm I hope it's I, I I hope it hits the mark. It's exciting times. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations on that. Um, all right, well we will put all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, thanks again, Dave. Thanks very much, and uh, thanks very much for the time. Really appreciate it, and great to catch up. It's our pleasure. And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Dave Anderson for being our guest this week. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 128. For more serverless chat, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter, at Becca Odele, and me, at Jeremy underscore Daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.